Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Good afternoon, everybody. You're now live on the Middleman Radio. This is the Middleman Talk Show with your boy Al. And this is Kevin. How's it going, my brother? Man, everything is wonderful, man. I uh, just witnessed a beautiful event. My younger cousin he got married uh, when it was yesterday in uh, Columbus, Mississippi. So uh, shout out to him and his new wife. Uh, at this particular time, they on a flight to some unknown destination, and uh, hopefully they have a beautiful, prosperous life together, man. And I'm, I'm proud of that young man. It's always good to see young people get married, man. Most definitely, man. Most most definitely, man. Like, best wishes to them, man. Like, this is a time, you know, to be really connecting with your family and friends and, you know, your loved ones, man. It's time to bring, you know, the love back get closer, you know, because we're all sick and shut in right now, I guess, you know, so we got to stay inside, stay safe, and, um, man, what a great time to be married, bro, you know, spend time with your significant other. Yeah, yeah, one of the the young guys that was at the wedding, man, he was like, man, this is my first time ever being in the wet, and, uh, you know, he was saying that he hadn't really been in any other weddings, and he was trying to figure out the whole process, and I said, well... I'll let you know right now. Live long enough, you'll be married. And uh, if you got you got some good friends around you, the rest of them will be married right. too. So give it time. You, you'll experience it. That's what's up, man. That was some good advice. Good advice, man. Um, I think where I'm at now, you know, uh, majority of my friends, you know, we are, you know, married. And um, or some are getting to that point that they are going to be married and stuff. So um, what a time, man. And really, you know, just making sure that you connect with yourself, connect with your family and your friends. And, you know, as long as you have their support and you know that within your heart, you made the right decision on who you with. Hey, everything is mm-hmm. great, man. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Call them a power couple. <laughs> right. We need more of those. We need more of those. But, um, I don't know if you noticed uh, recently, um, well, just a few minutes ago, I've noticed that Kanye West is holding a rally down in South Carolina. 
And yeah, so, um, yeah, I know you was, you was kind of put me up on that right there. The biggest thing I'll say uh, with that particular situation to all of our people, everybody that's listening out there to the Middleman Talk Show, we do appreciate you. And uh, one thing I would say, make sure that you register to vote. Register to vote. Uh, people mm-hmm. that are around you are registered to vote. Uh, make sure you educate yourself on the candidates. Uh, make sure that you are looking at your local elections also, which they, a lot of them already passed, but, you know, that's important too. But this one right here, please do not be distracted by Kanye West. Uh, he's a distraction. So let's stay focused. Um, you don't have to vote Democrat all the way down. You don't have to vote Republican all the way down. Well, let's stay focused to the point where we know that we're voting our interests and we're voting right. for what's best for our community. And uh, Kanye right. West right now, nah, man, he's a distraction. <laughs> well, he's definitely, um, it, 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 depending on the, you know, the camera angle, but from where I'm looking, it, it, it appears that he has a nice side crowd there. Now, I don't know if it's, you know, a large sum of people there, but the way the camera was set, you know, it yeah. appears that he has a nice size group of people at the rally. Um, you know, I, we'll I see, like man. to see that. I mean, he's Kanye West, man. I mean, hopefully yeah. our our political realm don't go to that to that format where we're looking at only celebrities becoming the president of the United States of America. Uh, you know, uh, in has, our conversation, it really with you know, yeah, it has happened before, man. It's, it started a long time ago. That you can't even just put that I, on Trump. That goes back to Reagan. That's, no, Ronald Reagan. Uh, right, right. That, that's Schwarzenegger in the, uh, in California. That's uh, <laughs> Jesse Ventura in right. Minnesota. We've been a celebrity mm-hmm. for for years and years. They even, you know, there was even serious talk about Hulk Hogan running for president in the nineties. It's a familiar face that people, I guess feel comfortable with or trust, right, because of their persona of who they were. I'm going to tell you something. I'll tell you this. Anybody who's watching that video of Kanye right now, if y'all are seriously thinking about voting for him for president, you cannot say anything about Trump supporters being stupid anymore. You can't. I, I am sure if his name ends up on the ballot, we will see some percentages when they show the reports. And again, they cannot criticize, they cannot criticize Trump supporters. This dude's having a full on meltdown on that uh on that stage. And it's just the first rally. Why are you even talking about Amber Rose? What does that have to do with anything? It's just well, it's anyway. sucks because I work in that field, and so it, it just it, right. it kills me that some people take it so lightly. They do, they I do, and you. now I'll it's time you, not to, man. Like it's it's like we got too much serious stuff going on right now. We have to make sure that we vote correctly and you know start doing things to really better the predicament of what we are in right now. Uh, we cannot continue to go through any of this. Cannot so. Um, but well, we definitely want to thank everybody for tuning in to the Middleman Talk Show today. We have a great show planned uh, for you guys. We also have a special guest who will be assisting us on today's topic, Mr. Terrence Hill. Uh, title of today's show, The American Dream Series, Buying a Home. 
Uh, the America Dream Series is uh, a group of shows in which we're going to put together each month where we will be providing information on specific topics uh, to help you guys out, to give you more information on finances, health, home and car ownership, insurance, and much more. Um, but today we want to focus on buying a home. And so some of the questions in which we're going to dive into today outside of your questions that you may have are what are the steps in which first-time home buyers should take in with looking for a home? What are the available programs for first-time home buyers out there? Uh, what are the requirements people have to meet before being approved for a home loan, such as like what your credit score should look like, escrow amount, uh, what type of insurance that you uh, should be looking looking to have, um, earnest money, etc. cetera. Uh, also, we're searching for a good interest rate on a home. What percentages should you look for? Um, and also, what are some realistic expectations that a person should have for buying a home? Basically, making sure that you are buying within your means. So we want to explore that. Um, we also want to talk about what, what are some things people can do to increase the value of their home and also when searching for a home. Does location determine the value and the probability of your purchase? And so uh, we definitely want to hear your comments and, and your questions on today's show. Uh, you can definitely uh, get in on the discussion live at 516-387-1542. You can press the number one on your phone, and we'll definitely get to you. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and bring in our uh, special guest today. His name is Mr. Terrence Hill. Uh, Mr. Hill, you're now live with the Middleman Talk Show. How are you doing, sir? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Thanks, guys, for um, giving me the opportunity to come on and share some um, real tangible knowledge, hopefully, you know, for um, for your listeners. Man, we definitely appreciate you. Um, this is definitely, you know, a great topic that could really benefit a lot of people. Um, we know that during this time, you know, we are experiencing a lot of, you know, financial things, you know, with a lot of our people are unemployed. But there's always good to always have this information presented to the people. And so uh, could you um, talk to our listeners about who you are, how you got started, and um, what you do in real estate? <laughs> yeah, sure, sure, sure. So basically I've been in real estate roughly about a little over 10 years now in total. Um, the first four and a half years I spent with the real estate investment firm, I stumbled into that really kind of by accident. I was working um, mm -hmm. selling websites. This was like early 2011, 2012, and um, most people didn't even know they needed a website, let alone wanted to pay for one. So mm -hmm. anyway, that business didn't work out, but in that office, they had a real estate investment firm, and so we transitioned, I transitioned over to the investment firm, did some marketing, some grunt work, and just kind of scaled to the sales team, which ultimately led me to become a real estate agent with Remax, where I've been since roughly about, yeah, since about 2013, so gotcha. I worked with um, yeah. So I work with first-time buyers, a lot of investors, move-up buyers, mm -hmm. luxury buyers now, luxury sellers, and so you know, just kind of run the gamut in terms of real estate. All right, all right. Um, I have another question, and this is something that Kevin also wanted to ask. What is the difference between a realtor and a real estate agent? So a realtor, a realtor is kind of like a, it's kind of like a designation, but not necessarily something that you got to go to school and get. So a real, so the way it works mm -hmm. is that once you once you go through this school and it's roughly like two classes take you roughly ninety days or less to get your real estate license. So you at that point mm -hmm. you're a real estate agent in your state. 
Gotcha. So from there, you become part of a um, you can become part of a national um, board, national association of realtors, and that would, and that makes okay. you an actual realtor, the actual industry. You know, it's, it's more like it's, it's more like a a designation in a sense, but not necessarily nothing really you have to do other than just apply or the, the firm you work with, if they are part of it, then you automatically as a part, are, are a part of it. Gotcha. Okay. Okay. So let's um, move into what are some of the steps in which um, first-time home buyers should take in which looking for a home? Well, let's back that up. How can a person or what should a person do when they're actually looking for a realtor or a real estate agent? Yeah, so um, when they're looking for a, a, a real estate agent, depending, I mean, it all kind of depends. So we're talking about first-time buyers. So what a first-time buyer should do, just kind of an overview, is that they want to mm-hmm. know, they should know, have an idea of what their credit score is. Right now, I think you can get, you know, you can use credit. Credit Karma kind of gives you an idea, but it really isn't distinctive enough. But it gives you an idea. You need a starting point. Credit Karma is free. They got a few other free ones. And I think one of the major Providers are able. You get like one free credit report a year or something like um, from one of those from one of those providers. But by and large, you want to know what your you know kind of what your score situation is. But when you're looking for a real mm-hmm. estate agent, you want to ideally you want to know have somebody that has experience in the business. Now it's easy for me to say that mm-hmm. now because when I started, of course, I I didn't have any experience as a real estate agent. But more than it, you know, I guess adjacent to that, you want to have somebody that has your best interest at heart. That's not chasing a commission check. Because a lot of agents, you know, across the country, the average agents do about five to seven transactions a year. This is across America. It doesn't matter what market you're in. That's, that's the baseline of it. So most people are part-time. A lot of people are stay-at-home moms and just kind of do it on the side. Mm-hmm. And they're not really committed to it to the point where this is the single biggest investment anybody will ever make unless they buy a business. So it's critical that you have somebody that's competent and have your best interest at heart throughout the entire process. Okay. I think Nick have a question for you. Go ahead, Nick. Hey, Mr. Hill, I had a, a quick question. I run into a lot sure. of people who are uh, traditionally renters, and the one mm-hmm. thing they always say is, well, why would I go through the process, the, the quote-unquote traditional process of purchasing a home versus, versus doing a rent-to-own situation? And I think that a lot of people, including myself, I'm not completely clear on it, uh, what exactly is a rent-to-own situation, and, and why would that even be an option as opposed to uh, traditionally purchasing a home? Yeah, so the, the rent-to-own process is essentially similar to kind of buying a home. So a rent-to-home process is saying, listen, um, I have a house. You want to rent the house, but in addition to renting, you want to use a portion of their rent money to go towards the purchase of the house. And now we're going to lay this out every every rent-to-own or lease-purchase type setup is different because every home is owned by different people. So the dynamic of the deal or the dynamic of the contract can vary. But just for the sake of, you know, for the sake of an example, we would say, okay, I'm going to rent you my home. Um, well, first you got to determine what's the price, the sales price going to be, you know, on the front end. So just say, for example, I'm going to sell you this house for $100,000. I'm going to give you three years to get your stuff together, and you're going to pay me $1,000 a month. Of the $1,000, $200 is going to go towards the principal of the home, and 800 is basically just for the cost of doing business with me and staying here for these three years. At the end of the three years, you have to basically do one or two things, either 
cash me out the balance that you owe me, or you have to go and get traditional lending to finish up the deal. Now, some people want to do lease to purchase for the duration of the loan, you know, for the, for the private loan or the owner the, the owner financing. And so if that's the case, it may be protracted over a 15-year period of time. In that way, credit is not involved. The only thing that you really have to do is just stay consistent in making your payment. Other than that, everything should be okay. Now, there, there are a few areas, uh, 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 from, there are a few variables where the person who's renting, doing the lease purchase, who's staying in the home, they may have to pay the, they may have to pay the property taxes. They may have to pay for their own repairs on the home because you know essentially they buying it, but they renting it at the same time, and so they may have to take on ownership right. responsibility, though they're still renting mm-hmm. the property. But that's the difference from just a traditional loan. So the traditional loan is that the bank is carrying the note, not the seller. The bank is carrying the note. Right. As long as you make your bank, as long as you make your payments to the bank, or, you know, to whoever you borrow right. the money from, whether it be a bank or a mortgage company, then they are basically, you know, you just pay them over fifteen to thirty years, however you got it set up, or a short-term balloon note type setup. It just depends on what kind of loan product that you're using. But the end result is the same that you have ownership of the property, but the only difference is that you're dealing with an individual versus an institution in terms of how how the deal is going to be funded. Now, at any at any given point, can the actual owner sell that home? Like, if, um, if well, it, it, it depends on the clause. Now, it, it depends on the clause because, I mean, I've done, I've done, on some investment properties, I've done some uh, owner financing type deals in the past. I bought some stuff cash. I've done some owner financing because what it does for me it gives me more leverage with my cash, and number two, it doesn't still affect my debt to income as it's shown on my credit report. And so all this is done kind of mm-hmm. off the book. So from there, I was able to leverage uh, um, well, a couple of properties. I, I bought a couple of properties like that where I, we decided on the price. And what I did was I just placed a tenant in the property. So the tenant is paying the rent. I'm keeping a portion of the net proceeds, and I'm paying the owner the rest of the money, and I'm still every month I'm, I'm getting more and more equity in the home because I'm paying down the balance. But for the sake of um, you know, your statement is that so what you end up, <clears throat> so what you ultimately end up with is a person who's able to acquire property and not necessarily have to just go through the traditional means. Got it. Mm. So um, I heard you say something about you know debt to income. So when first time home buyers are actually looking for a home, how much important is that? Like, how far of a yeah, threshold yeah. should a person be looking for in reference to spending? They need to be um, from from a debt to income perspective. Most most lenders want you to have roughly about at least twenty five. 25 of no more than 30% in terms of debt versus the amount of income that you have. If it's a two-person um, two, two situation, a significant other situation, then it still relatively mm-hmm. remains the same. But the more income you have, of course, the more property, the, the more the larger price point property you're able to purchase, of course, depending on the debt to, your, your debt-to-income ratio. So you want to try to keep that ratio down. So say, for example, if, um, I, I, I used to work a lot with first-time buyers. Now I have a team member to kind of do more of the working with the first-time buyers than I do. But what I ran into, or still, what we've run into a lot over the years is that uh, first-time buyers tend to have, you know, they got condos, they got, you know, they got quite a bit of, they got student loan debt, you know, and they haven't, they got it in deferment because they're not ready to make the payments yet. And so the lenders can't really use the deferred, or the, the, the deferred, um, 
balances that you have on your student loan because they need to know like how much you're going to be paying per month because that's going to affect your debt to income. So that's something that, that's something that a home that a buyer has to consider when they're heading towards purchasing the home. But what I would say is, is that number one, you want to look at the credit score, and then number two, you do want to look at how much debt you have. You got credit card debt, you know. You want to get that down. You want to keep that minimum down to about you know anywhere between twelve to fifteen percent. Of course, most people say under under thirty for sure, but most definitely, the lower you're able to keep your you know um, user rate is better overall in terms of debt to income and just show, puts you in a better position in terms of credit score wise also. Gotcha, gotcha. We have a caller who wants to uh, ask you a question. We're going to break him in right quick. Sure. Uh, Smitty, you're now live on the Middleman Talk Show. Do you have a question? Yeah, how's everybody doing today first? Good. Hope everybody's good. Doing great. Well. great. Uh, yeah, question. I, I, I missed the first part of the show, so you made me a couple I apologize, Jeff. Um, could you talk about, like, how people who may hit a rough patch over the past couple years, years like maybe yeah. an eviction or bankruptcy, yeah. things mm-hmm. like that, how they can possibly still get to buy a home, purchase a property. Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. So when I started in real estate, I mean, I was doing, a, I had a lot of meetings, a lot of consultations, but unfortunately, the people, a lot of the people that I was working with, you know, I'm in Memphis, and so it's predominantly black, you know, inner city, and so I had a lot of potential clients that wasn't really just ready to go. So what you want to do, whether it be evictions or bankruptcies, is that is, is start where you are, right? Start where you are in terms of saying, listen, if you've already had an eviction, that's over and done with. The best thing you can do is just continue to move forward and try to just get your scores up as much as possible. Even with the even with even with the bankruptcies, I mean, I've seen people with you know, depending on the type of bankruptcy, still be able to ultimately purchase a home as long as everything has been you know hashed out and worked out and they got the um. Everything that's everything that's rent run its course, but what you want to do more than anything is take a look at what's your situation and move towards getting your scores up as high as possible. I mean, I've seen lenders loan um, have loan products for people as low as five eighty. Um, on average, is about six twenty where you want to be. And of course, if you do have a, a recent bankruptcy, that may that may affect you to some degree. In, in some cases, some lenders look at it more harsher than others. It really just kind of depends on the lender-by-lender basis. And since this COVID-19 thing kicked in, um, a lot of the lenders' guidelines have changed. And so some of my lenders that I've worked with in the past, they've left their their previous companies to go somewhere else because they changed the guidelines and made it more stricter, made it more strict for a prospective buyer to purchase. So, for example, the score was probably 620, now it's 680. Now they're saying you need to have, some of them saying you need to have X amount of dollars in reserves when before there wasn't really even an issue other than the fact that you need to have your down payment money anyway. Yeah, 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 yeah. because I asked that yeah. because yeah. Uh, because everybody, because I'm not, I'm just speaking in general because my auntie had one on her record. She bought a home. See, I'm just speaking, I'm just asking because, like, I have a VA loan, so. I'm pretty much like from the military, so I know it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. You straight, hey. you good, you good. I'm working with some VA, yeah, with some VA clients right now, but you good to go. And yeah, so so you can do it, and then and I think I think I think in our community, and even, and even really really any disenfranchised communities that that we don't we just believe we can't do it, so we don't even try. Yeah, yeah, and, and I'll say this, and I run things. Ask my question, my auntie kind of maybe think about that because she had one of her records. She got her stuff up and. She she ended up getting a home and stuff, 
and, uh, and I just, you know, thought about that and asked how you know about helping people who may have that because some people see that in a record. Yeah. But they think they sure. can't what do it. Say, yeah, what, what I would say is this is like, you know, what, what she did, you know, she took responsibility for a situation. She became more um, responsible over time. And then, you know, in a matter of time, typically, even if you had a, just say, an eviction or a bankruptcy that has been worked itself out. I mean, in 18 months to two years, you can be good to go. You know, but it's just a matter of staying consistent, keeping your bills down, making sure that you're doing what's necessary, being responsible, not incurring a whole lot of new debt, and just focus on the, the mm-hmm. overarching goal, and that's home acquisition. Hey, and thanks for well, taking my call today. Y'all, y'all guys got to run. But, hey, you guys have a good one, man. You too, Sonny. Hey, appreciate Thank you, you too. man. That's why I got committed calling me in all the way from Arizona. We definitely appreciate his uh, question. So I also have a follow-up question um, in relation to um, your credit score and also with first-time mm-hmm. homebuyers. Um, with having, I guess you would say, an appropriate credit, sto- credit score for a first-time homebuyer, mm-hmm. does that impact the amount of, I guess you would say, um, maybe, maybe pricing or um, discounts that a person can get? Um discounts to a degree but not necessarily pricing per se so uh, your ability to the, the price point of the property that you're able to purchase is going to be primarily predicated on your debt to income now your credit score mm-hmm. so you got to look at it in two 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 components one component is saying okay. can you qualify to buy a home and that's going to be your credit score your you know of course your payment history you know you know um, foreclosures bankruptcies in the you know most recent years so that's going to get you approved. Once you get approved, then it's like, okay, how much am I approved for? And then it, it switches over to what's your income? Like, what are you making per year or what collectively income is coming into the household? That's, that's being reported right. because I've run into a lot of clients that entrepreneurs and they don't know that because they've been, you know, and I've done this in the past myself, so I'm, 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 uh, I'm guilty of it as well, is that I've been able to, you know, offset a lot of expenses, you know, with a great account. And um, just to kind of keep my taxes to the, you know, IRS as low as possible, legally, but as low as possible. But when I became conscious of, when I got into real estate, I knew when I got ready to purchase a home, about being an uh, uh, entrepreneur, I get 1099, so I'm a contract worker with Remax. And so mm-hmm. and I got other ancillary mm-hmm. businesses too. But my point is, is that I had to report for three years straight more than I really, you know, more than I... I could have, I could have deducted some more, but I knew the type of home that I wanted to purchase. I had to show adequate right. amount of income in order to substantiate that. If that makes sense. Understood. Understood. Go ahead, Kevin. You had a question. Hey, what's up, Terrence? It's Kevin, man. How you doing today, brother? Hey, what's going on, Kevin? Oh man, it's good to hear you, man. I appreciate all this knowledge that you're sharing with our audience. Oh yeah, uh, thank today. you for the opportunity. Yeah. Man, thank you for showing. You know, thank you for showing love and coming on the show. Uh, the question that I was going to bring to the show is, uh, as far as you, you spoke a little bit about loans um, and loan types, mm-hmm. um, I know you have your USDA loans, you have your FHA loans, uh, your HUD loans, Fannie Mae loans. Uh, for first-time buyers, uh, mm-hmm. would you recommend them going after any particular type of loan? And I heard you were talking about having a certain amount of income now set aside because I know mm-hmm. you used to have to have your earnest money, but now do you have to correct, have correct. additive amount of money? To get that house, what would be a good loan for a first-time buyer to go after? Um, a first-time buyer, um, oftentimes, well, some um, I've seen I see two two ways about it. Uh, FHA, which basically is a loan where you put in three and a half, six, six, rough, rough about six percent down. 
um, anywhere between three and a half to six percent down with an FHA loan. And of course, conventional loans typically is that you put twenty percent down. But I've seen conventional loans where you put the same roughly about six percent down like you would with FHA. And so with FHA, with FHA, you put six percent down. But you may also, depending on the state, depending on what programs that the state have, like in the state of Tennessee, they got THDA. Where and also too, you got um, you got other grant programs as well, like um, Shelby County Down Payment Assistance Program, where they help offset your down payment. So when you look at it, so you say, say for example, it costs one hundred percent to buy a house, right? And so the the government, FHA is saying, listen, we'll give you ninety three percent of the money to buy the home, but you got to come up with the other six percent, six and a half percent to close it out to one hundred percent. And so say for example, the house is one hundred thousand dollars. $100,000, you got to have roughly about 3500 bucks in order to be able to close on the property. Now, that's just a down payment. Now, you also have costs associated with borrowing the money and costs associated with bringing the loan product to the end where you're taking possession of the property and you're getting the deed and all the, the, you know, the necessary stuff at the end of closing. And so roughly it costs about an additional an additional seven, anywhere between another 3 to 7% to buy a house in total. And so it's customary that a lot of buyers ask the seller of a home for three, for three, three and a half percent down, and that'll help offset some of those costs. But FHA is saying, listen, you're going to have to have that minimum at 3500 if we're using the example of $100,000, you know, $100,000 loan on a home. And so um, there are other programs that are available, but even the, these um, programs, they have points added to them. So you got to, so your mortgage may go from, Without any programs, go from $900 a month or $800, a, I mean $800 a month to about 975 from 900 because you still got to pay these points off on this other money that you're getting on the front end, but you still have to pay back into the pot so they can loan the money to somebody else and give somebody else that benefit that you got when you purchase your home. Wow. Um, <clears throat> that's definitely uh, like some needed information because I remember when my wife and I was actually looking for our home as well. And I remember hearing this information um, to make sure that we did have enough money put to the side um, to qualify for our loan and uh, make sure that we have everything in which we needed. But um, another one of the things in which I was also looking at as well too, as far as um, location and value of the home, uh, from correct, determining, correct. you know, where you're actually looking for a home, um, does the value and location have a determination in price and also the interest in which you are pay, I guess you would say, in the county in which you live in? Uh, not, not not necessarily the interest per se. So let me just kind of <clears throat> unpack because you, you, you kind of said you, 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 uh, it, it's kind of a lot in, in that one question. So the way the way you want to look at it is this is that um, every neighborhood, uh, every city mm-hmm. has different price point homes. Every city in America right. or in, 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 on the planet, really, you know, but we'll just speak about an American particular. So every city has different price points in different areas. Of course, the higher you go up in the price point, then those neighborhoods tend to have a stronger degree of integrity. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, I've, I've been, you know, I've been up here, you know, roughly about, you know, 13 years. And I mean, I've sold houses for $5,000. I've sold houses over a million dollars. And so, of course, that's a vast array of price points, but the amount of the amount of money you're going to pay for a home is most definitely going to depend on the area. 
you know. Um, but with that being with 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 that being said, uh, you still can get you still can get into a decent neighborhood with pretty much any budget. You know, most lenders mm-hmm. most lenders don't loan under fifty thousand dollars. Um, unless you're going with a um, credit union or some type of um, specialty type of um, loan type product or organization or company, because they just it's just not financially feasible for them to make enough money off of them off of it, and also too they run into usury laws where you can't loan mm. where you can't basically beat people out of money, and so they just tend not to right. most most lenders tend not to in, in my area. Now I'm only speaking for Memphis, Tennessee, Shelby County area, and in, 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 in some. I got somebody on my team that works in North Mississippi, but I'm not licensed in Mississippi. So when I speak, I'm speaking from experience, but I'm speaking from a specific market. And every market is different. So I always preface anything that I say by consulting somebody that's extremely knowledgeable in your respective area about how things work there. But speaking from experience, you most definitely, location determines price, period. No question about it. Yeah. So, so, so for example, you know, everybody know. Okay, I would like to live here, or you know, um, I take my children. Like we got a we got a decent house now. We got a pretty nice house. But in two years, you know, my wife wants my son in a different school district, and so we'll go out. Mm-hmm. We don't go out and buy mm-hmm. another house. We are in the area, and so the area right. that we're going to is going to be more pricier than the area we're in right now. And we're in a solid area. We're just gonna keep this home and probably just rent it out. Is that a good thing to do with your house if you decide to uh, move to a different location or is renting no. like uh, I, I think it depends on the individual. I know clients. I know I work with clients. I got some clients right now that I do not recommend them renting their home out because they just don't have the personality type to deal with. I own a property management company too, so it's easy for me to do it because I got the system in place. I got the temperament. I understand it. I'm a, and I've been renting properties for over a decade. You know, so I understand every facet of it. Maybe not every fast, but most the most fastest of it. Um, but with that being said, I mean, I think it's on the individual. Some people just can't stand them, somebody moving in their home and not keeping it the same way that they did when they I show up to kind of collect the rent mm-hmm. or kind of do an inspection. And it's just going to cause a whole lot of problems because you you committed to doing this and now you got to, you got to see it through because you got a legal binding agreement with your tenant to allow them to, you know, live in the home. Right. Right. Now, so, so yeah, I, I don't company. think it's for everybody. I, th- I think it'll be good for us. I just don't think it's good for everybody. I think I think that's an introspective look a person would have to take before uh-huh. they make their decision. On on a primary home, it's different when you specifically going out buying an investment property. That's a total different mindset. Right. Right. Now, when you say a, a management company, a lot of our people are not aware of things of that nature. Uh, my first time experiencing one, uh, a gentleman in my neighborhood, he decided to buy a house in Pensacola. And uh, he had a management firm come in and take care of the property. Could you kind of talk about what a management firm does for a rental property? Yeah, for sure. has sure. the temperament to do that? Oh, yeah, for sure. So um, I, uh, when I was with the investment firm, I actually started managing property. So a lot of our clients, all of our clients with the investment firm did not live in the state of Tennessee. So everybody needed a property manager. So I wasn't, I was managing a couple of properties, but I was more so placing tenants for other stronger companies that was already stable. And, you know, I was just helping them out. But when I became an agent, I just started my own firm. But with that being said, so what a property management company do is that um, they oversee the property for the owner. They, they the liaison, the middleman between um, the owner and the tenant. So something comes up mm-hmm. in terms of, the AC goes out. It's, it's burning up in Memphis right now. So the AC goes out. They contact my 
uh, office manager. My office manager, in turn, contacts the contractor, that my HVAC tech. The HVAC tech goes out, take a look at it, price it, fix it, send us the invoice. We send the invoice to the owner, and the owner pays the bill, or the owner has some reserves that we already have in our escrow, and we pay the bills for them out of the escrow. So basically, it's somebody that um, a tenant deals with every day to handle the in- to handle any issue as it relates to the property, including them not paying the rent. So if the tenant don't pay the rent, we contact the eviction attorney. The eviction attorney then do what they're supposed to do, and we eventually get them, get them out of the property. But it's really just a middleman between the owner of the property and the actual right. um, tenants that's living in the home. So basically, like, with this particular process, like, the owners really don't even have to meet the people who are renting the home out. Yeah, they, yeah, they, they rarely ever meet them. You know, I got clients in 16 different countries and over um, 30 different states. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of my clients out of the country, they never come to the U.S. And when they do, sometimes right. some, sometimes logistically they can't meet the tenant because the tenant may be working the day they're in town. And so we just a drive-by, mm-hmm. take a look at it. Because oftentimes they purchase the properties in, without even physically seeing them. And so they just know that they're getting their rent money every month. They, of course, they get the deed to the property. I send them through all independent licensed professional, whether it be the attorney, whether it be the termite people to do the termite inspection, whether it be the home inspection people, whether it be an electrician, you know, so I get them in touch with the mm-hmm. right people, but in the end, you know, they know they're getting, uh, uh, they know they're getting, they, they, they know they're getting what they pay for, basically. Right. Uh, Nick, you had a question? I got a question. I got, I got a question real quick. I, you just hmm. mentioned uh, termite and uh, inspections. Now, I know a lot of times when you have certain people that will uh, come out to do your home inspection, uh, I know certain states have laws where that inspector can't get on the roof. They can't do certain things. What are some of the things a first-time home owner or home buyer should be paying attention on that home inspection? Because there are a lot of things that you don't pay attention to because you're out of money. Correct, correct. Yeah, so... um Everybody should get an inspection. Every first-time buyer must have a home inspection and a termite inspection, depending on the, depending on the area of the country. Some areas of the country, termites are not even an issue. But if you're in the south, you know, you've got to get a termite inspection, yeah. you know. Um, I'm not sure about Florida because I've never lived in Florida. But, in you know, Georgia, Alabama, Mississippi, Tennessee, Texas, yes. But so what you want to look at is that the home inspection is going to be overwhelming. I don't care whether it's a new construction or whether it's an existing home. With new construction, it's not on a home inspection per se, but when you do get ready to do your last two walkthroughs, it's going to be so many items that the, yep. that the home builder is relying on you to find mm-hmm. so they don't have to waste time doing it themselves. And so when you find these mm-hmm. things, they'll come back and fix them, no problem. But if you miss something, you pretty much on your own and left the paint in the garage. And most of the time it's just paint-related stuff. Very seldom is it anything major. Now, earlier this year, I did have a home that my client, a new construction home that my clients purchased, and they left off the um, the little vent. You know, it's kind of like a little window, but not really a window in kind of like the pitch area of the uh, outside of the home. But anyway, they left uh-huh. it out by, by mistake. They thought they put it in, but they didn't. But anyway, so most when you do when you do your, when you're doing your inspection, you most definitely want to focus on um, the roof here. And home inspectors are able to get on the roof. They're not able to plug something in that's not plugged in. They're not able to change light bulbs. They're only able to, to assess what's physically there. And if something's blocking them from being able to test something, they can't move something out of the way to get to it. They just got to make, make a note that they wasn't able to get to whatever there was. But 
Um, these are the things you must look for when you're doing a home inspection. And again, every first-time buyer must have a home inspection. You should have a home inspection because it's like buying a, it's like buying a vehicle, but more expensive. So you want to get a home inspection. So you want to look at the roofing, foundation, electrical, plumbing, and the HVAC mm-hmm. system, the heating and air conditioning system. Those are the those are the major points that you want to focus on. Um, and from there, then you start to negotiate with the seller and trying to figure out, can you get this fixed? Are you going to be able to get a credit? Or y'all just won't be able to meet uh, in the middle and you have to walk away. But if you walk away, you've lost, you lost the money you paid for the uh, home inspection and the termite inspection because th- those are your responsibilities financially as a buyer. Right. But, and, 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 it's un, and it's non-transferable, right, because every house is different. You can't take the home inspection from this house and put it on another house. So you have to pay the home inspector again, but they may give you a slight discount, and again, they may not. I see, I see home inspectors not do it because they're still doing the work that you hired them to do. And so those are the key things that you must look for when purchasing a home. But, again, I can't emphasize enough that you must get a home inspection. you got to do that. But you don't have to, right? You, know, you don't really have to. Right. Do it. Yeah, you don't have to do it. But yeah. Nick, you got a question for Mister Hill? Uh, well, actually, yeah. Um, so we know when we had the housing crisis in um, 07, 08, uh, yeah. black mm-hmm. people got hit particularly hard. Um, I think we sure. lost about 53 percent of our wealth because most most wealth for black people is tied directly to home ownership. Um, practicing in an area that is predominantly black, do you see a, a change in that trend where people are now starting to purchase homes more? Because I know in a lot of areas, uh, markets never really recovered uh, in terms of black home ownership. Do, do you see a growing uh, trend think, in that? I think uh, it, it, is, it is trending upward, but I mean, like with anything else, I mean, you know, somebody catches somebody catch a cold, we catch the flu. You know, it's just one of those situations, but I do think um, I do think gradually increment, incrementally things are turning around, but the social economic wealth gap is so wide and getting wider yeah. that it's still extremely challenging, you know. And so I just think that systemic um, problem is still going to be prevalent. Of course, and this is on the heels of being redlined and you know the Jim Crow type stuff. So it's still um, it's still a perpetual and consistently moving target. And it's just challenging to be able to do it. Even here, I mean, rental rental is about sixty percent. Most of the people in the city, in the, in, the, in the you know, in the, in the inner city, is renters. You know, it's like sixty percent renters versus you know, in the suburbs, of course, you know, it's more homeowners in the suburbs. But in the suburbs, you know, the color goes from black to brown and to Asian and you know, um, other uh, other ethnic groups. But by and large, I do think. You know, when we're doing we're doing our part, me and my business partner, I mean, we in South Memphis, you know, we in Whitehaven, we in Westwood, we in the areas where, and even though we do sell stuff in the suburbs as well, we're focusing on revitalizing our own area. You know, we're doing we're doing mm-hmm. we're working on moving towards doing our own regentrification, and so where when these trends turn around, then we're there not only to benefit from to see it, but also to benefit from. It. Gotcha. The, uh, and just kind of piggybacking off of that, um, you could, because you did mention redlining, and I think that's that's, that's a very important aspect of it. Uh, how how does that affect? Because I can think of a friend of mine in my neighborhood that he owned about five properties passed down to him from his grandfather who purchased them as uh, tax liens years ago. 
but uh, he couldn't even get, uh, what, maybe, I think he was looking for like $50,000 just to do some repairs on each of the homes. And even with him having the five properties, he couldn't get a loan, uh, a bank to loan to him. I mean, how is it, how do we overcome something like that in areas that are redlined? Yeah, what we, what we have to, what we have to do ideally is to do for self. I mean, that's the bottom line. I mean, it's like, okay, yeah, what does that mean though, right? I mean, yeah, I want to, I want to do it. I just don't have the financial means. And so what he may have to do is get creative, is partner up with somebody that he know that may be somebody in the area, close to the area that's doing some um, redevelopment, that's doing some renovation, some fixing and flipping and say, listen, this is what I got going on. You know, I want to bring you in as a partner. I own the asset. You got the resources. And so let's team up. And that's what we got to do, come together more collectively. Is that I have I have a gift of sales, right? And so my business partner, he has um, a vast, uh, uh, he has such a huge vast of uh, financial resources. And so we became partners and said, listen, I, got, I bring this to the table. You bring that to the table. Let's team up so we both can still advance in our respective areas and do something for ourselves by ourselves. And so I think that's what he would have mm-hmm. to do. And I, and I strongly urge any and everybody to kind of look at, and you don't have to go and make a person do this. It's people out there, our people out there are doing this already. It's just a matter of being able to make it financially feasible enough for them where we can bring them in. And even if we take a little bit less on the front end, it's okay because we'll eventually make it up as we go on. It just kind of depends on what our strategy is. But that's what it's ultimately going to come to is that we begin to, um, because people, our, our communities um, are um, plighted with um, the way that it is for a lot of different reasons. You know, of course, most of it is systemic, and then uh, some of it is self-fulfilling as well based on, you know, the lack of love, the lack of commitment, the lack of appreciation for self, the lack of knowledge for self. And so it's, it's, it's extremely deep. But the, I think any, any time a person don't have any financial ties to something, it's easy for them to overlook it, right? You know, I know when I used to be, you know, in the streets, it's like, you know, um, a free drunk is the best drunk you can get because you ain't paid nothing for it. But in, 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 in the world of business and in life, is that it's in, in business and in life, it's like, listen, if people had a vested interest in the community financially, then they'll be willing to do more and they'll be willing to do less in terms of whatever, all the stuff that goes on in, in, our, in a lot of our inner cities. And so... I think from their perspective, if we able to give them some equity benefit, then you know I think they'll they'll uh, they'll they'll begin to turn things around themselves. So I have a question in regards to that as well. Um, what are some ways in which you know you can do to improve like your the value of your home or the value of the neighborhood in which you live in? Yeah. So what you want to do um, in terms of your home is that you don't want to overdo it. I mean, what you want to do is make sure that, of course, it's structurally, the same, the same stuff you look for on the, um, the same things you look for on the uh, inspection report is the same stuff you want your home to be. You know, it's, that's the base, that's, that's the base fundamental. Then you want to look at your kitchens and bathrooms. Kitchen and bathrooms is what sells homes. So if you're able to, you know, you want to go in and kind of remodel the kitchen a little bit, um, put some uh, new countertops in, make sure you got a nice sink, you know, the stainless steel appliances, and um, I think those are things you're able to do. So when you want, when you're in a position of um, a decent amount of equity, that you're able to leverage mm-hmm. that equity. There's no reason, there's no benefit in having equity in a home uh, upwards of fifty thousand dollars or more. 
and you're not leveraging that to do something else with some of that money because at the end of the day, if the market turns upside down like in 07 and 08, all the equity is lost and you hadn't benefited none from it. Other than because you're still going to have the house anyway. If I'm going to have the house anyway, right. I may as well leverage some of this equity I have in the home. So my, I guess to answer your question is that I would look at kitchens and bathrooms, doing something to those. Um, I most definitely would not. But you want to make sure that you just don't overdo it. And what I mean by overdoing is that you want to keep it on par or at the top tier of what's going on in that immediate community. Right. Gotcha. Yeah. You know? oh. And so and hey, also, uh, on that note, on that note um, if you start to take care of your home a little better, People in the neighborhood have started to do a little bit better too, because they feel guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Mm-hmm. Hey, uh, Terrence, I got another question that, that kind of piggyback sure. off what you just said. Now, as far as with the equity, um, is that mm-hmm. like taking out another loan, or do you just how yeah, do you get yeah, the yeah. equity so, out of your yeah, house? So the way that works, yeah, so the way that it works is that so say for example, same we got a, same example, we got a house that we purchased for a hundred thousand dollars, right? We've owned the house. We've owned the house for five years. Now the house has appreciated to $150,000. Now this is an example. So now it's worth $150,000 in five years. And you've been paying on that $100,000 too. So that $100,000 now, because most of the first five to eight years is going to be a lot of uh, interest that you're going to be paying. So you're not going to knock off too much um, principal from that perspective. So in five years, you may be from $100,000 down to, let's say, $85,000. So you owe the bank $85,000 for the home. Now the home is worth 150000 The bank is going to give you a 70% loan to value, which means that they're willing to loan you up to 70% of the value, including the amount that you owe them. So the house worth one fifty, seventy percent 70% loan to value. We say about, about 120000 but still, you still got eighty five that you got that you got in it. So they'll give you roughly about thirty. We'll just say thirty to forty five thousand. Now thirty to forty five thousand. Don't take the money if you don't have nothing to invest in it. Nothing to use it for towards an investment. Not to go out and buy another car, jewelry, a trip, a wedding. You know you don't want to do that for your wedding. You don't want to go in debt. You know get married to that degree. But if you got a property or something that you, a business that you want to start, it's like, okay, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start this business. And so you, what you would do is that you have, you'll come up, you'll, you'll have a new loan. Um, there's two ways to do it. If you, if you do a cash out refinance, you're doing, you're pulling cash out of the house and you're refinancing the whole loan. Or you can do an equity line of credit, which means that that $30,000, dollars they're giving you a credit. You can use up to that amount however you see fit, and you're only penalized for the amount of money that you use, not the amount of money that you're able to use. Yeah, and so I would say do not, but, but do not take the money unless you got something to invest in and use it for business purposes. And, of course, even if the business doesn't take off, you still own a home and you're just paying a little bit more in terms of your overall your overall mortgage. But you still oh, own so the home. So is that like a, just like a second second mortgage basically? Yeah, you can do it as a you, you can do it as a second you 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 can do it as a second mortgage. So yeah, so say for example, you paying um, eight fifty before you do the cash out refinance or the um um yeah before you do the cash out refinance and then now you paying the eight fifty plus you paying an extra hundred and fifty two hundred dollars over here for the other money that you've taken out. Hmm. Great information to know, man. I, I, like I did not. Well, I think I knew about you know like the understanding of having the you know like the second mortgage because my grandmother did that when she was trying to hmm. improve her home. 
and make some additives to her home. But that yeah. was yeah. the second mortgage. But, uh, you know, you're speaking into, uh, you know, the, the value of what your home has earned, you know, that money amount in which you could pull from, like you said. Correct, uh, correct. Want, get penalized on the, the total amount, just only on the amount that you actually use. Um Correct, well, and then they have, correct, and that's, yeah. and that's and that's of course that's the equity line of credit, yeah, specifically, right. yeah. Okay, and now does that increase like your probability of being able to receive, you know, uh, additional um, lines of credit, you know, to help improve like your credit score? Like, how does that impact? Not not necessarily, not necessarily. I think I think um, buying a home is the is the biggest debt you're gonna have on your credit report, but it's also the best debt because it shows. Mm-hmm. Perspective lenders and even the credit bureaus that you're responsible mm-hmm. from their perspective, that you're more responsible and you've taken the quote unquote the American way to acquire a home, you know. And I think uh, by and large, it doesn't. I mean, it doesn't. It doesn't hurt to be, to do it, but it doesn't put you in a super powerful position either. And what you're doing is that you're just leveraging. You're, you're leveraging your assets, you know, um, to, right. to acquire more assets or to basically improve your. Um, family legacy by doing something for yourself and using what you already have, which is their asset. And so, I think early on you know, in the intro, you spoke about one of y'all spoke about being able to being able to um, build um, have having a legacy, being able to the American dream. You know, it, you know, is it is it is, is it still worth it? And is buying a home worth it? It's no question. Buying a home, purchasing a property is a Real estate is the single fastest legal way to acquire wealth than any other thing um, that's available, because it, it places you and your family in such a in such a strong position from an asset perspective in a short period right. of time. And that's one of the primary reasons because of the wealth gap. That I mean, I look, I was looking at some statistics roughly about roughly about a month ago, and it showed where on average, from an asset perspective, on average, you know. Um, black America is probably seven to ten times less where you know a white family may be. So to say the average the average Caucasian family is about has about one hundred and seventy thousand dollars in assets versus um, a black family has roughly about twenty to thirty five thousand dollars in you know assets. I mean, which is but wow. it's, but it's predicated primarily on home ownership. If you buy a right. home, that sets you in a that sets you in a, a truly elite class, and I don't care what the home value is; it can be worth twenty thousand dollars. Because at the end of the day, it's not. And some people, you know, I listen to a lot of different um, well-to-do individuals, and some of them say, "Well, listen, you know, um, do you do you really own a home if you got a note, or you know, um, I don't particularly want to buy a home; I'd rather just buy investment property." I'm saying owning mm-hmm. something is better than owning nothing. Right, right, and that's just that's just simple math. Because I may owe, I just say for example, good. I may owe, a, I may I may have a loan for a hundred thousand, but I got something now that own that, that's worth one hundred and fifty thousand. So I got fifty thousand, I got a fifty thousand dollar asset, free and clear. Not not necessarily free and clear, but I got fifty thousand dollar worth of equity in this particular asset. You know, minus right. minus minus what I right. owe, and that's real right. money. And what I'm saying is that if it's real money in the home, then I, the sooner you use that money for the benefit of self and kind, the better off you're going to be. That's true. Oh, man, I agree. Great information yeah. today. Great information today. Um, we want to definitely thank uh, Mr. Hill for 
bringing us this information today on, on buying a home. Definitely shed some light on, you know, what it takes to first step on what you need to do when you first find a home, uh, the type of um, uh, uh, rates to look for, you know, how to determine like your credit score and what you need to do to look that up as well, too. Also, you know, we also talked about, you know, how to earn equity in your home and how to improve the value of your home. I hope this information that was presented today was beneficial to all your listeners out there. Um, definitely have any questions or concerns, you can definitely hit us up on our Facebook page, The Middleman Talk Show. You may also send us an email as well at wearethemiddleman at gmail.com. Um, we definitely appreciate um, you all listening to hey. us today. Mr. Hill, would you like Make to... Sure, um, yeah, there you uh, go. Shout the business out and pass on some recommendations. Oh yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, you know, you always free to follow me on uh, Instagram or Twitter on the real estate consultant. Um, I'm always doing, you know, doing little videos here and there, trying to give insights specifically into this market, but just some general information. Also, too, me and one of my uh, colleagues, we're coming up with a podcast soon as well called um, The Ugly Beauty of Real Estate, so be on the lookout for that. We'll have it rolling out here within the next 30 days. It's going to be really, really good. I mean, I think it's going to be, you know, it's going to be the reality of real estate, not necessarily HGTV version. Right. I like that. Yeah, I like that. Terrence, man, we really appreciate you, man. And, uh, you know, send us the information over with the podcast so we can share it to our listeners. Uh, and okay. also, uh, we will be doing a show uh, where we're going to be talking about flipping homes. I, I know right now uh, we're talking about buying homes as first-time buyers. Uh, but Correct. we definitely want to get with you guys on uh, flipping homes and doing things of that nature, man. And uh, I appreciate you, man. Really much love to you and your family. Okay, sounds good. Thank you. I'll get that information to you. Y'all have a great one. It was my pleasure. Thanks a lot. Appreciate, appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. Man, great show today, guys, man. Um, a lot of insight, a lot of information that was uh, given. And uh, I hope it was useful, man. Oh, oh yeah, for useful. sure. They just got to use it. You know, go back like to lack of knowledge, our people perish. So, I mean, Ferris right. came in today, and, and, I mean, basically he set you up for a situation where you can win, period. Basically. That's a lot of information. Yep. If you never knew about buying a house, go back, listen to this show. Uh, you got his information. Yep. He's on Instagram. Uh, if we can even get his, you know, a number that he would like for people to call, uh, we'll put that up on our website if y'all are interested, if you're in the Memphis area. Uh, you definitely need to get with this brother right here. Uh, he's definitely a great guy. Uh, he knows his stuff. You can just listen to the show, and you can tell that he knows his stuff. Yeah. Well-versed in it. <laughs> well-versed in it. So you definitely want to put your trust in somebody who's well-versed in what they're talking about. But uh, make sure that you uh, do your research before making any big purchases and make sure that you are um, – in a point in which you can make those big purchases. Like you said, you know, home ownership will definitely close, you know, the wealth gap um, for, you know, our people out here. And so we definitely want to make sure we are providing this helpful information so we all can get um, to a better quality of life. Um, man, we want to thank everybody for taking an hour out your day to tune in to the Middleman Talk Show, man. Uh, anybody got any other clothes? Yeah, man. Uh, Nick, Nick, Nick. Uh, y'all have to excuse me today. Uh, all our listeners, I am on the highway, so I do apologize for all this noise. 
and I wasn't able to hey, interact like I wanted today, but, yeah, most definitely, we always did. But, uh, hey, Nick, uh, appreciate you, bro. All good. Uh, guys, don't forget, if you're not already in the Middleman uh, Talk Show Facebook group, head on over and join. Uh, we're adding people every day, a lot of interesting topics that are going on there, a lot of discussions that go uh, beyond what we're talking about on the show. And as always, and I say this every week, y'all, support black media. These types of conversations don't go on in traditional media, especially from our perspective. So we want to make sure that you're supporting black media at, at any given time. Uh, and on that note, uh, today, my, uh, my, my podcast shout-out of the day is actually Jay Jones with the Black Entrepreneur Blueprint uh, show. I've been listening to Jay Jones for about five years now. Uh, he gives a lot of great information. We definitely want to get him on the show because I know he actually listens to the show from time to time. So we want to get him on the show and get his perspective. But if you go to any of your uh, podcast listens, you know, podcast platforms of your choice, Black Entrepreneur Blueprint uh, with the host Jay Jones, and don't forget the Middleman Talk Show. Like, subscribe. Uh, follow us Please leave a review We want to know how, how we're doing And if you have a suggestion for a show Hit us up on Facebook You can also email us directly At wearethemiddlemen at gmail.com Alright people man We want to thank you all Stay safe out there And clean and healthy Love everybody We out Did you just done for Billy the show? Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.